Good morning, everyone. Today's talk, to give it a title, is Exalted and Lowly is Just a Matter of Words. And as you may remember, they're the words that come from one of the sutras that we recited this morning, um, the identity of relative and absolute. Or you could say, in other words, superior and inferior. It's just a matter of words. I've been reflecting a lot lately on um, current issues that's been happening around the world and in the media on on racism. But I just I don't want to talk just about racism. I want to look at this whole issue of um, exalted and lowly, or superior and inferior. But if you look at the nature of racism, um, it's a form of narcissism. And when you look at what the characteristics of narcissism are, um, sense of superiority, um, sense of entitlement, lack of empathy for others, and an exploitative style interpersonal style at the expense of others. So racism can be seen as a form of narcissism that one ethnic group or one nation has over another. It's got all the same characteristics, it's got, all, it's got, the, same, it's got the fingerprints of narcissism all over it. And, um, but racism is one form that superiority and an inferiority can take. But there's many different forms that it takes. Uh, it can be one gender being superior to another. Um, it also can be people identifying with something that's uh, some characteristic they have of themselves, like they may be highly intelligent. So they just narrow down their identity to their high intellect And as they do that, they make their identity superior to others. Or people might have some particular talent, like an artistic talent or a sporting talent, um, something they're very good at, and they narrow their identity down to that particular skill and then turn it into something that makes them superior as a person to other people. Or people may simply do it around physical beauty as well. So it takes many different forms. And if you reflect on all of the sutras that we went through this morning, um, all of them in their own way, you can see that they're challenging this whole dualistic way of thinking, of dividing the world up into exalted and lowly, superior and inferior. So. The words that I chose, exalted and lowly, is just a matter of words, come from that sutra. If you look at the Heart Sutra, it doesn't explicitly say no superior, no inferior, but if you get the sense of the Heart Sutra, that's what it's saying. There's no superior and there's no inferior. They're just constructs that the human mind creates and then we divide the world up in that way. Um, If you look at Joko's reading that we had on what practice is, that we identify with our thoughts 
and then those thoughts create self-centered emotions and then we act out of those self-centered emotions and human beings find themselves sometimes not just identifying as being superior but a lot of people would also maybe say I don't, I don't identify with being superior, I actually identify with being unworthy, you know, or inferior. But it's like when you think, when you look at the way we understand Dharma psychology, one create, they're created out of each other, right? There's a polarity where they're both created. And um, our Dharma practice, when you look at all those sutras, is about cutting through that whole construction that human beings make around superiority or inferiority. Um, also, the Purification Sutra, the one that we first do, is probably the most important one. And it gets us to recognise that the harm that is created out of being caught in a self-centred dream Yes, we harm ourselves, um, but we can harm others with the, the self-centred constructions that we make out of that. And basic Dharma psychology is that that harm is created by greed, hatred and ignorance. And let's have a look at that a bit more closely about what it means. The ignorance, in a sense, um, is... Um, it, the, the ignorance that's implied is being ignorant of the way that things truly are, of being out of touch with just the reality of life, the suchness of life, the organic nature of life, where before, before concepts come into play, before words come into play, there's no good or bad. Everything just is. It doesn't have... A particular quality assigned to it unless we put we assign a quality to it but when we lose touch with that reality or that essential nature that everything is just as it is then greed arises hatred arises right and all forms of narcissism or racism or whatever sexism arise out of that ignorance that everything just is without any quality of better or worse. Mm -hmm. Now, um, when we look at the nature of narcissism or that attitude of superiority in individuals as a psychologist, um, what we often see is that um, people have developed a way of being in life where they will be admired. Um, and we, what we see is that admiration is a kind of compensation for not feeling loved. You know, um, if I can't be, it's kind of like the, the inner thinking of someone who's narcissistic, and we're all narcissistic somewhere on the spectrum. Um, the, inner, the inner thinking is, if I'm not sure I'm lovable or I can be loved, then I'll be admired. Like that's, that's the consolation prize, I'll be admired. And all of our life is then around being better, being good, being superior. Um, and we're driven by that. But it's not, just, so it's not just losing touch with being ignorant of the way things are, 
but it's being ignorant that there's some sense of unconditional love that we can tap into. And we, we, we're kind of ignorant of that as well. And so we're driven towards this superior position. Now, just looking at other species um, and looking at things from the point of view of nature, there is a wonderful book which I finished reading a few weeks ago, which is called a bestseller, which is called The Wisdom of Wolves. And it's by Ellie Radinger, who is a German woman, a German naturalist. There are many, if you're interested in reading it, it's a wonderful book and I'd recommend it. Um, there are many, many books of that title, but this specific one is someone called Ellie Radinger. And um, she's someone who's devoted her whole life to the study and care of wolves. And uh, what she describes <coughs> in wolves and what we can learn from them, what the wisdom of wolves are, is that within their own pack, contrary to the way they've been demonised by um, various writers through the centuries, there's very, very, very little violence within their own pack. And they're, they're very loving and affectionate towards one another. Um, they mate for life. Um, they, they look, they take really tender care with their pups. And they even look out after their elderly people. Right? And it, even when the old wolves, their, their teeth fall out and they can't hunt anymore, they don't just disperse of them, they actually look after them. But that's one side of wolf behaviour. And the author reminds us not to idealise them like in a Disney movie. And these same wolves who can be so empathic and loving and caring of their own kind, um, are serious, cruel killers of elk and bison, and as a pack they'll bring them down in the cruelest way that nature can to provide for their pups and the old people. So there's that side of it as well. And what is also in the nature of wolves um, is that they compete for territory and resources and food with other wolf packs and they will kill other wolf packs. Like they'll go to war with them and they'll kill over resources and so on. Now the question is, are we just human beings as another animal just like that or can we be different to that? At least you could say about wolves, you know, and, and nature in the wild, is that when they do kill for resources, at least that's honest. Right? At least that's a kind of honest reason for wanting to get your own pups to survive and keep your own, your own pack going or your own species going. There's something basically honest about that. But that's not what human beings do. We may have that need for survival as well, but you can see through the course of human history that we add on religious views of superiority towards the people we conquer and take their resources or political views, you know, ethnic superiority, we justify it all um, and go to extremes because we want the resources of another group so that we can survive. But, it, we, but we, we dishonestly construct all this stuff about it around superiority in order to justify it and to feel like that we're, we're good. Mm -hmm. But can human beings do better than that? 
Paradoxically, racism as a form of empathy. Through racism, we, like the wolves, we identify with our own grouping, our own skin colour or our own ethnic group. So we like the people who are like us, but we hate the people who aren't, you know, or we feel threatened by them. And Joko once said that what, what the task is in Zen um, is, she called it the ABC of Zen, a bigger container, a bigger container. And that when we move beyond the self-centred dream of just identifying with me or my family or my ethnic group or the people who have the same views as me, there is a way for a human being to identify with everything, hmm? not to narrow it down. Mm -hmm. That's what the bigger container is. The bigger container is everything. And then when we see that there's no self, then there's an identification with everything. And we're embedded, embedded in life. We're not outside of life observing it, we're embedded in life observing it. And we're embodied in life. And when we see that that is our true nature, then there's an identification with everything. And what arises out of that identification of everything is, um, is compassion, empathy for everything. Um, but human beings can operate like that at times. In my reading, I've done a lot of, of late of Indigenous Australians before European contact. They organised a way that they respected each other's land and they actually didn't have wars with one another to take each other's land. It was very egalitarian and everyone respected the resources of each other. Now, it's not to say they didn't go to war with one another and there was other forms of delusion. They payback and revenge was a big aspect of their culture as well. But when it came to fighting over resources, as human beings, they actually worked out a, a system that worked really well compared to, say, European history, where everyone fought one another and they created ideologies and religions to kill one another to get each other's resources. That's, that's European history all the way through. So there is a way that human beings can actually do that when they see that they're embodied with the earth and embodied with life and don't get caught up in these constructions of thought that lead to superiority and inferiority. The problem, the whole problem when you look at through, look at human history is that human beings try to fight superiority with more superiority and all it leads to is more superiority. Mm -hmm. um, but there's another way through that which is the Dharma way and the way of other genuine religious spiritual practice as well. And it's not fighting superiority with superiority. In a, in a way, it's, it's challenging or dissolving the whole issue of superiority and, and inferiority through a kind of humility, right? which is not, not the same as worthlessness at all. And where you see that humility coming through in particular, or the poem that I'm inspired by that I come back to a lot and, and, and reflect on, um, and you know it very well, is Thich Nhat Hanh's poem, Please Call Me By My True Names. 
there's an enormous humility um, in in that poem. And I, I am the frog, and I'm the snake that eats the frog. Right? And all the way through that poem, I'm the victim, and I am the perpetrator. Please call me by my true name. So I'm all of those things. Right? reminding us that we're all of those things. But when we just want to be the victim or we just want to be a superior person or whatever, when we divide the world up, then we've constructed a division uh, and it kind of doesn't work that way. So it's really dissolving the dualism of superiority and inferiority. It's not fighting it with more superiority. It just creates more hatred between people. So, dualistic thinking, in other words, um, creates dualistic relationships, whether they're dualistic intimate relationships or relationships between families or nations or groups of people. Mm-hmm. And our practice is to see through the dualism of it. Sometimes, like I said in the beginning, we we may identify with a superior position, even though we're perhaps unconscious of doing it. But sometimes people also will identify, like I said, with a, a sense of inferiority or unworthiness. But whichever one you you identify with the most strongly, they only, they only kind of exist because its opposite is there. And if we really look at what really happens in the inner life of human beings is we move between the two. You know, it's like we, we, if we think we're unworthy, we move to a sense of being superior often. You know, um, but then that's not sustainable, so we go back to the default position. They kind of depend on one another, those two. And as in practice, if we really were to embody the Heart Sutra, no superiority, no inferiority, there's a way of being in the world before all of this conceptualization takes place, before all of this mental construction takes place, there is just the fundamental fact of being. And our Zazen practice, our whole preset practice, the whole inside of Zen is to take us back to that pre-conceptualising position. And what appears to happen when we get there, there's a kind of a, a natural goodness comes out of it because, like I said, we're not, we don't have a narrow identification with everything. At that point, we have a bigger container you know, our identity was everything, and so there's an empathy for everything. There's no division. It's really more the point of Zen practice. And you know, one of the great levelers of all of this is um, old age, sickness, and in particular death. Uh huh. Um, we're all going to get old. We're all going to die, and there'll be no inferior and superior anymore. Uh-huh. All human beings will will suffer that end, no matter how special we think we are. We'll all grow old and we'll die of something. And the person who gets a great 
paper published, you know, or gets a great promotion or is given a great award is the same person who goes to the toilet and has to wipe their bottom every day. Uh-huh. Same person. Uh-huh. But we forget about all of that. You know, we, we identify up here. Uh-huh. But it's the same person. Uh-huh. So our practice is to really be embodied in our Sazen practice and embodied in our everyday life. Um, and, and to see when we get caught up in these constructions of the mind that divide the world up, not just superior, inferior, good, bad, right, wrong, the whole, the whole lot, and to see that there's a, a more grounded way of being in the world.